Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome back to the New Books in Hindu Studies podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. I have the pleasure today of speaking with Dr. Arti Dand, who is Associate Professor in the Department for the Study of Religion at the University of Toronto. Hello, Arti, and welcome to the program. Hi, Raj. Uh, this isn't our first rodeo, is it? No, it isn't, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, my pleasure. Unlike the vast majority of guests who have no idea what they're signing up for, we've never met before, we may have had one conversation. Um, RT was one of my undergraduate teachers at the University of Toronto, and we've stayed in touch uh, throughout this time. So we've had a, a number of opportunities to talk about uh, research and pedagogy. Yes, our association goes back a long way. You've yes, been scarred, indeed. You've been scarred by me for many, many years, a decade and a half, I believe. Yes, it's, it, it's so wretched. If it wasn't for her overbearing influence, I never would have gone down this ridiculously um, non-practical path of Hindu studies. So you can blame her for that. Um, yes, that's right. Uh, and uh, speaking of not being our first rodeo, um, we also have ties to what is called Cowtown, Calgary, the city of Calgary. We do indeed, yes. I did my undergraduate work there as well as my master's. I remember it fondly, especially now landlocked as we are in Toronto. It's, um, you know, nostalgia for the hills. Indeed. Sometimes we just want to run for the hills, you know, and they're, <laughs> they're, uh, the mountains are just, I mean, they're, they're breathtaking. It's I had quite, quite the adventure there, both mm. academically and sociologically. I fondly remember the University of Calgary, my time there. Um, we are uh, in keeping with uh, recent uh, interviews of uh, New Books in Hindu Studies. We're having conversations with folks who are um, doing interesting things in the field and this this podcast is uh, more and more becoming new developments uh, new trends in hindu studies uh, especially in this burgeoning digital age of ours and it is for that reason that i invited arti um, onto this podcast before we talk about maybe some of the developments that will no doubt excite and entice you all maybe let's have a, a brief sense of of of, of arti where you come from in terms of you know your research and your interests well, my work has focused from the beginning on the Hindu epics. So I did my master's on the Ramayana, the, the Valmiki Ramayana. Uh, the, my graduate work, my post, my doctoral work on uh, the Mahabharata, and that's really my wheelhouse. The Ramayana, the Mahabharata, as far as I'm concerned, that's good for a lifetime. And of course, you, you'll see, you know, no influence there whatsoever, having done a, 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 a master's on the Valmiki Ramayana immediately after a course, an undergraduate course on the Valmiki Ramayana taught by uh, some woman named Marty Dan. No influence there whatsoever. No, not at all. Um, Coincidence entirely, I'm sure. Uh, of course, of course. Um, 
so it, I'm sort of coming full circle in that my first my first research love was the epics, was the Ramayana, really. I was trying to make sense of why the heck, you know, Rama made this decision on his coronation day and it was, you know, so lauded. And so that took me down a rabbit hole. And then I ended up looking at the Devi Mahatma in the Puranas. And now I'm sort of coming full circle in that I'm returning more um, actively to the Mahabharata, which will probably be the, the probably be the topic of uh, this uh, next book project, and of course the Mahabharata is your your squarely within your wheelhouse. You have you have fallen down that rabbit hole some years ago, and you've remained there it seems. Well, the thing is with the Mahabharata, um, you can just be there for a, an entire lifetime. I mean, there's so much there going on that you can be doing this forever and ever. So, and that's pretty well be what I've been doing. So my, my teaching is all around the Mahabharata, the Ramayana. Um, my scholarship is all just those two things. And that's a lot. I mean, that, that, for me, that's pretty well, you know, the, uh, this, uh, the Mahabharata, well, both of these texts invariably invite us to talk about other things. To, to do the Mahabharata properly, uh, you have to look at antecedent literature. You have to anticipate where we go further into the Puranas, etc. So it's right there in the middle, the Ramayana as well. So, um, you know, again, and, I, and then these are such important texts in terms of the the transition of Hinduism, the transition of ideas, the evolution of ideas from one uh, style of religious practice to another, that they're the, 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 the so replete with uh, new ideas that, um, you know, th th there's, no, uh, there's no possibility of ever running out of things to think about. It's quite literally uh, inexhaustible. Uh, with respect to relevance uh, and nuance. And, and, and that's a theme, you know, that comes up whenever we read a, a great work of literature and certainly the Mahabharata is so vast. The so other thing, sorry, the other, the other thing with the Mahabharata is um, you, get, you, get, you get partway through and then you forget what happened earlier. And so, you know, it's, 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 quite often it's literally the thing that you're reading it anew and you're reading it anew because you forgot it. And you've got, then you get a little further, and then you've got what came before, and then you have. So it, it's just uh, uh, always that experience of encountering the text um, anew every time. So could you maybe touch upon your, I believe, uh, 2008 uh, Sunni publication on the Mambarta? Uh, could you tell us what it was about? Well, in that, uh, in, in that work, I was looking at the construction of gender uh, in the Mahabharata. So um, it really arose from unhappiness on, you know, in terms of my understanding of how gender relationships are constructed. And I felt um, that I hadn't grasped uh, I felt that gender relationships needed to be situated within the larger context of religion. And I, I wasn't happy with what there was. So I um, started looking at that. And so the work is really about, about, about the, particularly focuses on the very bifurcated 
perception of women. So on the one hand, you have women lauded as great goddesses, etc., and on the other, uh, uh, entirely um, derided even um, as uh, seductresses or as being in various ways uh, unequal to men. So what's at issue there? Those were some of the questions that I was looking at. Fascinating work. We'll post the link to it um, in this podcast. Woman is Sage, Woman is Fire, I believe, uh, yes. is the title. Um, part of the reason I know it fairly well is that uh, RT does something I think that's that's uh, really important in that when she's looking at the epic, she actually uh, employs uh, terms from the epic itself to think about religion, specifically poverty and niverty. Um, and, and these ideologies and I actually found that quite useful and it's something that ended up informing the way in which I looked at Puranic materials. Yeah, thanks. Actually, there are a few scholars who've, uh, who, who, uh, who've been working with those categories and I thought uh, Greg Bailey, for example. Um, so I, I, and I felt it was really important to draw from, I mean, all of us, this is what we try to do is to draw from the text rather than read into it. And so um, and, and those categories just made intuitive sense to me in trying to interpret the, um, the data uh, down, that, that I found there. Um, so one way of understanding uh, why there were these different perceptions of, of women, um, if, we, if we approach it from the angle of nivrity and privity, a lot of that makes sense. Yeah, Greg Bailey has been an important influence. He, you know, before I was born, he was pointing out um, the, 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 the it, yeah, in the Mark and the Purana, and ended up being cornerstone of this last book that I was working on, looking at the, the, the extent to which poverty may be the ethos of the entire Purana. So really fascinating, nerdy things. We may not go down those rabbit holes in this moment so that we can keep this as accessible as possible. Um, uh, you're obviously you're obviously um, in love with the epics, and you obviously enjoy what you do. Could you tell us a little bit about you know how did that how did that come about? Like, was there an aha moment? Was there an episode that drove you mad? Like, like where did this? Where was the genesis of this this fascination uh, and study of the epics? Uh, well, it was pretty well an accident. Uh, to be completely truthful, uh, I was interested as a student of literature. My undergrad was in English Lit and History, and then I was looking to do graduate work not, uh, at the University of Calgary. And options were pretty well limited if you wanted to do anything South Asia related. Um, and this really speaks to uh, you know methodological issues and the times in which I was studying. Uh, if I wanted, if you wanted to do anything South Asia related. Uh, at the graduate level, um, religion was where it was at. There really wasn't a whole lot uh, else going on. And so I went into religious studies and, um, and I discovered the epics, which uh, fortuitously gave me everything I needed, everything I, I was looking for, it's history, it's literature, it's philosophy, it's, you know, everything. You can be discussing them from oh, so many angles. And um, so very fulfilling. And the stories, uh, inexhaustible stories. And so how, how can you go wrong? Yeah, uh, you know, we, we've had the opportunity to interact while I studied with you and then audited some courses and then 
as colleagues in more recent years, and I don't think I've ever systematically you know, found out sort of like, okay, so how did this start for you? But it's interesting. There's so many interesting parallels. I actually went to University of Toronto uh, the first time around to study English, English major, uh, philosophy and history minors. I ended up leaving school for a variety of reasons. And then I came back and my love for literature and philosophy was fulfilled in the study of Hinduism, right? And so it's, it's interesting, right? You know, and I'm currently teaching a, a quote unquote Hindu philosophy course at the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies, and one of the, the snags and the tensions is, well, is this philosophy a religion? Is there a difference? You know, where does one engage Indian philosophical ideas the way one does sort of in the Western tradition that's not, you know, uh, theology? And so uh, really fascinating interest, and I can certainly, it certainly resonates why through the Mahabharata, an appetite for history, for philosophy, um, you know, for ideology, for literature is certainly fed. The stories are just... They're just mind-boggling. Some of these stories are just mind-boggling. There's so many. Yeah, yeah. The 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 the, 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 the so breadth of stories, but some of them are like like how do they how do they come up with that? They're just so gripping. Um, so you have the 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 wonderful opportunity of teaching on the Mahabharata. Is that primarily what you, what you teach at the University of Toronto? I believe you teach introductory world religion as well. I do. Um, I've been teaching the Survey Introductory World Religions course for the last, um, well, ever since I've been here, really, that's 19 years now. And uh, that's my favorite course to teach. It's always, uh, I find every time I teach it, I, I love the cross-cultural uh, aspects of it. I find it informs my thinking, it informs my scholarship, it makes, makes me ask um, new questions and makes me understand um, the material of my of our text uh, in a bigger context so I think that's really that's been really important for me because um, quite often it's the case that when you're studying something closely um, you end up over interpreting uh, certain elements which actually if you just you know if you had that cross-cultural dimension you find out it might be a very different thing from the way that you understood it. So I love uh, the introductory course, uh, the World Religions course, um, and I, I love engaging with uh, very young students, uh, uh, undergraduates, first year students who come in there with these sparkly bright eyes full of you know, interesting questions and sometimes super bright. So I've had a great experience. It's an energizing experience for me. I've had very good experience with with that course. That's fantastic. Um, so uh, in preparation for sort of trying to study the Mahabharata myself, like I mean, study it uh, more deeply, more in a more focused way for, for a book project, um, I came to learn that RT was doing um, a, a, an undergraduate course last graduate seminar, I believe, on the Mahabharata last semester. And so I decided to audit the course and get back into that headspace. Um, and then halfway through the course, we weren't able to meet live anymore, were we? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right now we're currently on Zoom and, and, and this isn't your first Zoom rodeo either, but, but tell us, you know, uh, tell us, uh, you know, as an educator, uh, associate professor at the University of Toronto, can you tell us a bit about the journey of how the pandemic has affected teaching? Well, I mean, these are interesting times for sure, and um, I'm finding it more challenging than um, some 
some of my most technologically skilled colleagues. Um, so far, I've managed to get about with um, the technology of Blackboard and Chalk. And um, so now the, the, there's been a lot to learn and I can't claim to have mastered much of it. So uh, one of the, yeah, enough said there. And so for the, for the fall semester, which really I guess is a, a less than a month away, come to think of it, what's the plan at your department? What will education look like? I think it's evolving. To begin with, there was some hope that we would be able to be in classrooms. So many of us committed to dual delivery, so we'd partly be in class and partly doing things online. And now it seems um, it's almost certain it's all going to be online. So I'm petrified and, you know, taking it uh, a few minutes at a time in terms of trying to prepare or trying to absorb uh, learning on how to do this, uh, which is a, a new, I mean, it's new for all of us. It's challenging. Yeah, it's, um, I can relate uh, at least maybe three or four years ago, I had this very strange circuitous path in that I was online teaching. I've done continuing studies for quite some time, maybe 10 years now, but I was teaching online um, in 2017, I think I started and I was kind of floundering and lost in, but I kept with it because I felt that this is, was important and this was kind of this indulgence outside of my research and my formal academic path. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the pandemic sent the world upside down and now academics are sort of knocking on my door and saying, you know that online teaching thing that you were doing? Um, yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> yeah. I, I believe I'm one of those. And you well, I, I, it's not my intention to out you, but I'm saying it's, it's well, interesting. I, I know that, that, that I, I'm happy to be out of that. And you know me for many years to be a techno dunce. In, in fact, one of, the, one of my experiences in the world religions class, the first year classes, sometimes I can't get the projector on. And so all these students would jump up and assist me in, uh, you know, what's fairly simple technology from the bigger scheme things. So, um, yeah. I wear that hat, techno dunce. So techno dunce, I guess, you know, uh, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. So for somebody who's actually grappling with the Mahabharata <laughs> with some success, the price to pay for that. <laughs> I, 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 I swear that's easier, at least for me. It, the price one pays for that is, you know, practical things evade you. <laughs> it's understandable. Um, it, it, given, uh, given the way the world is going in terms of online teaching being a mainstay and even a hallmark of the universities. Um, really, I'm really excited to talk about an interesting development that has come about in recent weeks. And that development is a podcast. Yes, thank you. So rumor has it that you have created a podcast. Uh, tell us about it. Well, I'll tell you how it started, I guess. Um, I used to have an informal reading circle uh, around my Mahabharata classes. So we'd finish class and the students who just were fascinated with it would linger on and then we'd have further discussions around particular stories. And uh, uh, for me, that was, uh, that was the best part of the class, which was the after class. 
So um, and I, I've been trying to keep it going for many years, off and on. You know, sometimes there'd be more students, sometimes there'd be you know me and one other person. And um, I, you know, so podcast that that and this came about at the end of last term when we were finishing the course on the Adi Parva, which which you were auditing. And when COVID hit, we couldn't continue and I was forced to do this technological thing, which had been a bit great barrier uh, up to this point. And uh, it somehow evolved from there with some encouragement for interested parties such as yourself. Yes, um, it goes without saying that um, I uh, personally uh, wholeheartedly endorse the podcast. I mean, from my perspective, um, it is an entertaining, accessible way to grapple with a very difficult topic for educators, for, for, for learners, I mean, continuing studies folks, heritage learners, undergrads, uh, graduate students. It really is an accessible way. Um, but more than that, it's a, it is a medium that um, conforms with these uh, radically transformative times of ours. And for my spidey sense says that within a generation, um, most experts in the field will have a podcast that their students listen to. That this will actually be, online learning isn't going anywhere, right? Right, no, no, uh, that, seems, that seems to be the case for sure. Um, so tell us a bit about like what is what is the what is the scope of the podcast? Like what what do you endeavor to cover in the podcast? Well, what I mean, I, I'm I'm actually so hesitant to even say this, but the idea behind it was to uh, start at the beginning and finish at the end, uh, which could take many many years. And uh, I'm hesitant to say this because I, once I finish. The first volume, I might be dead, who knows? Um, so barring all of that, barring um, exhaustion, um, barring just regular life coming in the way of work, etc., cetera, um, I'm gonna try to keep it up and finish, uh, uh, do the whole thing. Uh, because I think the Mahabharata, our reading of the Mahabharata, uh, access to the Mahabharata is obstructed in uh, a couple of ways or a few ways. Uh, first of all, it's extraordinary length and complexity. So that's, uh, those are givens, but also um, it's locked in archaic language. Um, and that obstructs us from, uh, from understanding, from grasping it or accessing it in a fresh way. Uh, and then further, it's locked by being understood as a sacred text. And uh, quite often it's the case that the sacred kind of takes the fun out of everything. Um, and so you're afraid to touch it because it's a sacred object and you're afraid to interpret it in this way or that way because you know it's God speaking or something um, that you venerate. And so what I wanted to do is um, get away from all of that and just read it as literature and you know when you approach it that way it's uh, hilarious there's so much in there that you can have fun with and um that's that, that's rather what i'm doing just having some fun with it 
Well, it's um, it's interesting, right? The 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 methodological approach to regard uh, the narrative as literature. It's so interesting. It's like, you know, to me, to folks like you and I, that's sort of intuitive and it kind of makes sense. And yet, um, for most of Indological scholarship, that's that's sort of radical, right? This is, you know, either the text is sacred uh, for those who venerate it, or the text is looked at for historicist or philological purposes and just celebrating the narrative of the Mahabharata. Um, you know, that's certainly well underway in our generation, but it's not, you know, uh, that's a relatively new development. And yet it is so fulfilling to look at the story as profound story, to look at the characters, to look at sort of the tongue in cheek comments, to look at the, the, the laugh out loud funny bits, right? Of the, of the text, which is just, it's part of the, part of the joy. There's so much absurdity in the text and I'm, I don't know who who really knows what the author authors had in mind, but there um, it seems to me that it's intentional. The absurdity, the the the, the there's so much that's carnivalesque in uh, in uh, in the text. So much to have fun with, and it seems to me that's that that was part of the design of it. But there are a lot of people working on uh, the text as literature in this generation, at least. Or you know, yeah. So, and I'm I'm certainly not claiming anything major in this podcast. All all I'm saying is, for me, um, I, I I I am of South Asian background. This is no secret. Um, I grew up with a certain kind of understanding of the text, and you and I both know. Uh, anybody listening knows there have been uh, numerous dramatic enactments of the Mahabharata on film, for example, or on TV, for example, the, the B.R. Chopra thing, uh, etc. And but all of them approach the text in uh, as a sacred object or the narrative as a sacred object, and uh, etc. Which is wonderful for the people who who see it that way and who want to interact with it that way. Um, that didn't come naturally to me uh, as a scholar because we're always uh, approaching it from this critical lens and, and it seems to me uh, there's a lot in there that needs to be pointed out as problematic practices that are problematic, gender practices for example, uh, uh, social justice concerns that, uh, that um, that certainly are of relevance to us in our time. So uh, I wanted to engage with all of that. And uh, the way to do it that came naturally for me was to, is to read it as literature, right? to read it closely as literature and to see what it has to say. It's a document of the past uh, or uh, of a certain moment in the past and um, to engage with it in, in, in that spirit. And so just to sort of uh, recap or to highlight for those listening, um, RT has set out from the outset of this podcast to look at every bit of the critical, uh, of the text of the critical edition. And, 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 and God's willing, uh, she hopes to go through all 18 volumes. So whatever we see, however inconsequential or ancillary or confounding a narrative is, um, 
it's all fair game and it's all engaged in the podcast. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I'm going to correct you there for a sec, uh, Raj, because that would take me you know, multiple lifetimes. Uh, I'm just focusing, I, I'm following the text, but I'm focusing on the fun bits. There's going to be a lot of stuff that uh, just, you know, the, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to touch. So, for example, as we know, there are entire volumes of the text that focus on um, on the, the the duties of a king, and you know, I could summarize those in in one episode and move on. Whereas the text will go on for I don't know, eighty four chapters, that kind of thing. So we'll we'll summarize the the some parts and then really work through the narrative. And 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 so much is embedded in the stories. In any case, so much of the uh, the didacticism of the text is embedded in the narratives. I think uh, I, I think we can do it that way. Yeah, it so seems without without losing without losing the flavor of what the text is because it, it's not only of course it's not only uh, a text about great 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 stories. Uh, it's also a text that thinks very deeply and. Um, uh, 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 deeply about the big questions of life, right? About, about the big questions, about what is the world? Who are we? What's our relationship to each other, etc. And the, you know, the big philosophical questions. So, um, so would you say the podcast is primarily um, uh, a summary sort of narrative or is it exposition or the interspersed? Honestly, this is going to sound terrible. I'm making it up as I go. So sometimes <laughs> it's for, sometimes, no, I'm following the text. So this much is there. So if you want, if, if, if anybody is interested in, you know, challenging me or whatever on a particular thing, that's marvelous, but I'm taking it from the text. So it, if it led you to go there and, and look at the text, my work is done. But, um, whether this particular episode is going to be more uh, reflective and the next one is going to be more, uh, you know, drama and action, that sort of thing. Um, it's just, I, 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 I don't know the week before. So having listened to the episodes of which there are eight now, um, one of the things, you know, I may offer minor feedback here or there as the project was getting off the ground, but one of the things that struck me right off the bat is that it's not at all dissimilar from being in Archie's class in that you're, there is sort of an immediacy of engagement. Uh, you sort of feel that there is an instructor, a professor, uh, summarizing bits of the text and interspersing um, you know, ideas and commentary. And there's this, this sort of, uh, to me, there's an interesting, uh, viable balance of the two, such that for those interested in the narrative, there's more than enough to feed them. And for those of us who study the text, it pans out every once in a while, and then it draws in these broader themes. And really, in addition to being, a, being in addition to it being in a very engaging style, it very much to me feels not dissimilar from sort of the classroom experience. And maybe this is just, you know, you're just doing your thing. It seems like this is you doing your thing. That's what it kind of seems that's, like. That's probably true. I mean, I, I, I think I approach classes the same way. Um, we like to have fun. 
not too serious of course you know eventually we're going to come back to the important questions which are you know what what grades uh, you're getting at the end of it um but no that's not the important question obviously but um we're we're there to have conversations and many of these stories through looking at these stories facilitate these conversations. Sometimes those conversations will be about history. Sometimes they'll be about philosophical issues. Sometimes they'll be about gender or sometimes uh, something else. So uh, we're, we're there to have conversations and the, uh, the wonderful thing about this literature is it facilitates all sorts of conversations and uh, that's what we do in class. And that's somewhat what we're doing here as well. Uh, fascinating. So uh, I mean it when I say there are literal laugh out loud moments in the podcast. Yesterday, I think I almost spit my coffee out. I was listening to the podcast and, you know, I'm, I'm used to some, you know, sassy, witty, funny comments. But at some point, uh, <laughs> RT is talking about um, Alf Hiltabeidel, you know, the, the, this towering scholar in the field. And she mentions that, you know, she, she mentions his thesis on uh, the epic being about the education of Yudhishthira. And like open bracket, she's like, you know, um, uh, you know as, as, as he's been notably called the godfather of Mahabharata studies. And she literally says, and I'm talking to you, Raj. And I, I was like, I had a moment of wonder and terror all at the same time. Like yes. I was called out in class. You've been outed. That's right. <laughs> I've been outed. Let's hope. Let's hope Alf takes it well. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. Because <laughs> you don't want the Godfather to be upset at you. That's for sure. Um. So the the podcast has, uh, in my opinion, a very useful companion site. It's uh, the Mahabharata Podcast.com. I think you're being very generous right now. It's just a rudimentary companion site. At some point, it might be useful. By the time you hear this podcast, <laughs> by the time you hear this podcast, it will be useful. Now it's, okay. you know, um, <laughs> it lists all the episodes and the summaries, and you could. It's useful in the sense that you can access the audio through the the website itself um, for folks who may not be on Spotify or, or use sort of iTunes or, or what have you. And I believe there will at some point be some resources there. So ignore what was just said. By the time you're listening to this, it could be months or years from now. It's a very useful website to the Mob Hearts Podcast. <laughs> dot com <laughs> that's great uh, and as i've said i think it really fits well into the shifting landscape where uh, uh, teachers are really looking for for digital tools as they're all floundering to to put together well, online courses it's a difficult text it's a difficult text uh if you're not a specialist it's a difficult text if you're a specialist but it helps it does help to have a little bit of a guided tour so to speak um and uh yeah so i see it as being able to provide a, uh, just ease the path uh, a bit into um into understanding it especially the adi parva you open the text with this great ambition you know so i get students sometimes who are so excited 
um, they won't read the Mahabharata. They go by the entire, the, the Anvoitnan volumes at the very least. And, and then they start reading and, um, you know, five pages into it, um, well. Your brain melts and leak out of, leaks out of your ears and you're like, what's happening here? Yes, um, all your best intentions are left in a little puddle. So, so, so you know, I mean, if you can, if you have someone who can guide you a little bit through what are the important things or what to look at first or, and, and how to make sense of the, because the Mahabharata doesn't make it easy. Adi Parva especially doesn't make it easy. It doesn't draw, it doesn't uh, connect the dots. It doesn't draw the connections that uh, ideally you would expect uh, a work of literature to do. So, um, Sometimes you have to read it over many times to to grasp what's what's happening, and um, yeah. So the part of the uh, the part of the impulse behind putting out the podcast was to make this simpler for students. Fantastic. So uh, for those of you listening, um, I have been speaking with Dr. Arti Dond. Uh, who is Associate Professor at the Department for the Study of Religion at the University of Toronto. Arti specializes in the epics and she, like Vyasa, lives in the Mahabharata. Uh, Arti has just put out this, um, in my opinion, super entertaining uh, boon uh, to the field uh, podcast. You can go to the mahabharatapodcast.com or you can download it um, at pretty much on any platform where you get podcasts. Uh, RT, it was great chatting with you today. Thank you for appearing on the program. And thank you for the invitation, Raj. It was a real pleasure. And let me say, uh, for anybody listening to the podcast, if you have um, some uh, comments, questions, thoughts, etc., just write me. And I'm happy to address questions in future episodes or, you know, to take the brick bats as they come, whatever it is. Um, that's, yeah, that's fantastic. Tell us uh, where they can reach you for the podcast. Yeah, you can actually uh, write me right through the website, which is, as you said, the mahabharatapodcast dot com, um, or you know, I have my academic email, which is easily searchable through the University of Toronto. And at the uh, contact page for the website, there is a dedicated Gmail address. Uh, for the podcast yes, that, you can, right. that you can use or the contact page. Fantastic. So this is kind of meta. You're listening to a podcast that's talking about a podcast, but yes. you know, this is how we roll in the realm of Sanskrit literature where, you know, authors appear in their own works. Um, so <laughs> I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkran. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to RT Don today. Uh, until next time, uh, keep reading and keep listening. Take care.